right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yes. That's what yep. it is. Here That's we are. Right. And I'm Ollie. And, and I'm Scott. And this time, uh, we have special guests. We're it's not a very special episode. Very <laughs> special. <laughs> Did didn't we say this before? Like it's I like think we have ABC special, <laughs> right. like a very, a very special, special episode of of family ties where oh, Alex so deals with his addiction problem. <laughs> like, wait, what? Speaking of addiction problems. <laughs> oh, no. Very special episode. Yes. Well, this is actually uh we tried to do this a few weeks ago when we were all together. Yeah. Um we were meeting as a, as a group. We have a a group of folks that we work with across the state who have been helping us with this uh with you know with the science uh new science standards and and trying to do some professional development around this around the state with uh different stakeholders. And so we have a group of I don't know what what seven or eight of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh when we got gathered in uh Lancaster a few weeks ago, we did a, a recording, but there were some mistakes that were made. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. People and uh, need not be named, Scott, yeah. who had yeah. issues with the technical part of the show. Right. It's a good thing that ne- neither one of us are really t- technologically adept, right? right. I mean, That's a good that. point. That's yeah. a good point. Neither, neither of us, us know much about computers. Yeah. Or computers. This, this, yeah. Not so yeah. much. Um, no, that that's uh, the uh, self-deprecating part of the, the show. It's it's always better <laughs> when you clarify just humorous get that out self-deprecation <laughs> as self-deprecation. Well, I'm you know just in case there were you know people playing bingo out there, they were you know wanted to know what to do. Anyway, so uh, you mean how to play bingo, right? Or what she the didn't score? Really explain that. What the score on their bingo okay. card? The self-deprecating right. part of the I of see. the show. That's like a section of the bingo card. It is. So um, the recording was awful. And so what we decided to do was uh, bring back some of the folks that we're uh, we're talking with. Then Uh, it's been really hard because these are folks that are really, um, you know, tapped into so much to get the whole group together. So we'll probably do this today and then we're going to bring in um, some folks again later on down the road. Um, But today we're joined by uh, Pete and Brett. Yeah. Uh, Brett, why don't you begin the uh, introductions? Yeah, and uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, Brett Criswell. I was a high school chemistry teacher in Northeast PA for 15 years. There are some stories from those days that I won't share in this podcast, but maybe we could have another podcast <laughs> about those. Um, I then have been a journeyman in higher ed from uh. Kennesaw State University to Georgia State University to University of Kentucky to finally, hopefully, uh, a permanent home at Westchester University here in Southeast PA. And I do the secondary science teacher education. And uh, research-wise, I've been working with a group on using video in teacher education and then also on uh, teacher leader, STEM teacher leadership. So that's my story. That's, that, that's And he's sticking to it. All right. Pete, you are the the next to introduce yourself. Very good. Uh, Peter Lycona, I uh, was a biology teacher certified in Pennsylvania. Uh, I taught in Central America for uh, for about two years, um, elementary and middle school. It's quite a uh, fascinating time. Uh, I then uh, worked in science outreach uh, for the Upward Bound Math Science Program. And then I uh, went to Penn State to work on the PhD. And for the past seven years, beginning of my eighth year right now, 
I've been at Elizabethtown College, uh, associate professor of pre-K through 12 STEM education. Uh, I look at, uh, you know, uh, science education, STEM education reform, and uh, English learners or culturally and linguistically diverse students. Happy to be here. Nice. Happy to have you here. Yeah. So one of the things that's uh, a common thread across all, all the whole group is that we all worked with Scott at Penn State. Right. So all of us had you as our doctoral advisor. Is that right? Our chair? Um, not Dr. Lacona. Oh, uh, he was. Wah, I was. Wah, I was wah. on his. I was on his dissertation committee, but I was not his chair. Kept me honest. Uh, yeah. Well, the the other thing that uh, I think we should I- identify is uh, Brett just was recently promoted and got yeah. tenure. So, cheers to, Dr. to Chris congratulations, Dr. Criswell. Congratulations, Associate Professor Criswell. Well, it took me thirteen years to get yeah. there. Yeah, well, you it's know, all good. That's all good. It's about the journey, not the destination. <laughs> right. I I I like how you described yourself as a journeyman. I like I like that. That was great. Uh, <laughs> do you have one of those little like handkerchiefs that's tied up and uh, like on a <laughs> yeah. stick that you carry over your shoulder? Over shoulder, I feel like that very many times. <laughs> the higher ed hobo. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you got all your ideas in your little yeah. you know, kerchief yeah. tied yeah. around your yeah. Oh, I got. Oh, I got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so one of the things we wanted to. Uh, to touch base with today is is the things we've learned from doing this professional development. So we've been, you know, spent the last year and a half doing professional development across the state, working mainly with intermediate units and 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 folks um, who are going to help to lead that with uh, school districts. And you know, I, I think the way we want to you know, I, I know capture that journey uh, a little bit is is to talk about what we've learned. And so um, I guess Brett, we want to start start out like what, what have you learned? Of, um, from the work we've done over the last year and a half? Yeah, well, one of the things I was thinking about, um, I because I'm a crazy person, I read linguistics stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I read Michael Halliday's work. And in one of his books, he talked about um, the how he sees the complexity of different sciences. Now, I realize there's two physics guys on this. So I, this is, I'm going to preempt what I'm going to say. You're going to step, gonna step into disparage, it. Yeah, disparage physics at all. But he, he said that, of the sciences, physics in one way, not the simplest, but it, it studies the simplest systems, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, systems that you can control the variables very much more easily than other things. And then chemistry is the next least complex. And then he went out to biology. And then finally, he said social science is the most complex because you're studying uh, not only complex systems, but those complex systems involve people who have free will over things. And I think about that when it comes to what we're doing, right? We're 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 even a layer of complexity above. We're trying to teach people how to teach teachers, and teaching is as complex a system as it gets. And I'm I'm thinking about that it hasn't been we haven't studied it in that way and thought about what it means to teach at that level of complexity and and working with different groups and how to get a group of people to buy into something like we're trying to get them to buy into here in the psychology of that. And, and so I'm, I'm trying to pay a lot of attention to that and I'll have a thought on that later because just a couple weeks ago, I did some PD with some teachers directly about these changes and it really struck me the what went on during that PD. So that's the first thought I have on this. Yeah. I mean, def- definitely, we're seeing, um, you know, these different discourse communities, right, and how they talk 
differently. And so one of the things that's a real challenge in, in, in doing this is that, you know, there's a, a fair amount of assimilation, right? They just go, oh, well, I already do that already, right? And they're like, oh, it's just a new word for the thing I do. But the reality is, is that it's a comp- we're trying to ask students to do. Um, yeah, and and um, it, it is a completely different thing. And, and um, yeah, I mean, language, well, I mean, we all know this because we all do research in these areas, right? Is that language um, is interpreted right it is it's not and that goes all the way down into science we've talked about that on the show too um just that you know i mean green doesn't green is a socially constructed idea and as a result it's open to interpretation across contexts and that level of complexity only gets as you say brett more um convoluted as you get into cultural systems that have you know human practice involved in it so yeah i mean i think physicists all the time we don't think of it as we study the simplest systems. We study the most fundamental systems <laughs> and that everything else is built on those fundamentals. Right. Yeah, I love that. Like chemistry. Well, yeah. Done. Done. Yeah. Thank but, you. You're welcome. Back to what Ali said, I think is really important um, um, because. Sure. This back is, to what Ali said. <laughs> what you said was less important. Um, just, just know. Us- usually is. Um, this is a concern I have. You talked about the way people are talking about this. And um, the, the word that I've become concerned with is when people districts say we're aligned yeah. with the standards. Yeah. And I, you know, I had a conversation. I've, I've been trying to check the pulse of the districts around here as to how aware they are of the new standards and what they're doing. And most of them are actually, you know, they recognize that it's a shift and everything, but one district, the person said to me almost immediately, Oh, we've already done that. We're already, we've already aligned ourselves with the new standards. And I know what that means that they've checked the topic boxes and they found the standards that meet those old topic boxes. And that's, that's the more concerning thing. I'd rather a district be kind of feeling like we don't, we're not sure what this is going to look like and how to do this um, than say we're aligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in a lot of ways, what they're doing is they're just shifting around the chairs on the on the deck, right? They're saying, oh, you know, we have this new terminology, the DCIs, the cross-cutting concepts, and they're just moving things around and saying, okay, we've uh, we've aligned it. And they don't recognize that there's a real changes in practice that has to, ha- has to happen with this. They haven't, yeah. they haven't realized that the Titanic's still sinking, even though they're rearranging the deck chairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, bring, let's bring Pete in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I listen to what everybody's saying there. Uh, you know, I agree with yeah. what uh, Brett said. Um, and I want to add that, you know, when we think about uh, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to shift the culture as opposed to, um, I'll say, revising practice. And um, one of the what I've really been thinking about is how is the work that we've been thinking about doing with in-service teachers, how is that pushing me to reconsider my work with my pre-service teachers? Mm. And how yeah. can we sort of prepare these two um, these two groups, these two communities, um, so that we are able to shift this culture uh, of science education uh I'll say quickly, but holistically. And it's it's very exciting work. Uh, but something else I've thought about is just the magnitude of what we are trying to do here, which is mm. shifting the practice uh, or shifting the culture of 500 school districts within Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, it, 
well, certainly I agree on the scope of this thing and how daunting it is. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more, Pete, about you sort of differentiated between practice and culture there in the beginning of your um, of your piece. So I want you to talk a little bit about what you mean about it's not about um, I forget what word you put in front of practice it wasn't revising, but um, something like that. So it's not about revising practice. It's about shifting culture. So can you talk about what what that means? Yeah, well, I think Brett. Uh, sort of hinted at it where, you know, he has worked with districts that have already said, well, we're already aligned. And I don't think this is a question of aligning past practice to new to new reform efforts or, or a new culture, if I can use that term, when in fact, what yeah. we're trying to do is something completely different that I think is goes beyond revising uh, curricula lesson plans and is sort of a, I'll say, a, a, a starting from the beginning. And I know that sounds a bit uh, daunting, uh, but I think that's what we're suggesting as it relates to uh, this, this shift in, in, in culture. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly that's one of the, the things that I've, struggled with is I'm used to, I think we all are used to relatively small units of change, right? Like I think about my pre-service teachers, a a classroom of pre-service teachers is my main unit of change. Like I have these, well, these days about 15 students and um, in my pre-service teachers in my class. And that's sort of what I'm focused on. And now and while I recognized in that, that those folks are going to go out and I want them to make culture change in schools, this is like both multiple layers removed and much larger and therefore I think diffuse impact on the people that I'm trying to to impact. Because if, if we really think about what we're doing, we're trying to change the practice or at least I guess maybe not everybody's needs to change their practice, but let's say we're trying to change the practice of every K to 12 teacher in the state of Pennsylvania, which is a lot of people. It's, it's a lot more than the 15 that are in my little pre-service teacher class. So, and it is a culture shift. So, um, so I'm interested if you guys, either of you can talk a little bit about how you have grappled with that in the work that we've done and how you see that manifesting some of the things that you've learned over the past year. One of the things that I think about always, just because I think of my work in teacher leadership, this is a big area, is, is framing. Like, how do we frame or message this mm-hmm. that we get people prepared for the thing we want them to do? And, you know, I think normally in framing, there's like these two very different messages that you are trying to choose between. But in this, the challenge is it's a single message that we have to be careful about the degree of the message we're conveying. And what I mean by that is we know that by and large, there are some significant shifts in culture and practice that have to happen. But you recognize that if you say to teachers, mm-hmm. there's significant shifts in culture and practice, like most human beings are going to shut down and especially yeah. coming out of COVID and what they've been through the last couple of years. Yeah. So it's this challenge of helping them understand that change needs to happen and it isn't trivial change without making them shut down is, is a, a framing problem more complex than anyone I've ever encountered. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I've used the you know the term, and and you know, I understand that the 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 challenge of this term, but you know, a sense of urgency, right? And you know, we hear about buy-in, teacher buy-in, district buy-in, administrator buy-in, and, and what does that mean? And you know, I always when I whenever I think about um, what we're trying to do, I always think about who is the ultimate um, recipient of our work, right? And it's not the IUs, the intermediate units. It's not the teachers. We're getting down to what's best for students and um, how, you know, and how do we communicate that without uh, having teachers sort of uh, fly under the radar and wait for this sort of wave to pass over or send them running, <laughs> so to speak, from the field. Um, but to realize that this, what we're trying to do offers a lot of flexibility and freedom, uh, authenticity for everybody, including the teachers. Yeah. Go ahead, Brett. I'm going to get my, uh, I'm getting my niece to make a shirt for me. She's got one of those cricket. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to make a shirt. Um, PA Steels sees the opportunity. Um, because I want teachers to, I guess that's how I've started to try to think about this framing is I want them to see it as an opportunity. You know, I think most of us and our experiences with standards have felt they're not quality. There's too much content and there's not enough focus on deep understanding. And here's a chance where it's just the opposite. It's what we all have wanted our, our standards to be. So let's take advantage of that and do it. And, and that message has a little bit resonated with the teachers I've talked to. But as soon as they start to realize you're also saying that that means changes have to happen, that then it starts to fall apart a little bit. Right. Well, I, and, I, and I don't want to go too deep into theoretical territory here, but but this idea of like what we're really asking them to do when when you ask them to change culture is change their identity. We're asking them to be different people. Right. And that is a big ask, right? We're not saying like, oh, this is a little tweak. You can find a lesson plan over here and implement it. We're saying you actually have to think about who you are very differently. It can, it, you can no longer, and it's not the, the sage on the stage and the guide on the side, because that's just a bunch of nonsense sort of platitudes like this is you have to reconceptualize not only who you are as a human being but what this discipline is as a field of study or endeavor or um you know practice and you know and and we're and the way that that's communicated is well we got these new standards and there's some science and engineering practices in there that you got to attend to and they're like yeah we do that we have labs all the time so it, it is i mean we it is one of the things I think as we've moved, as we're moving into this next phase of work over this coming year that we've really taken seriously that this requires uh, an identity change um, to be successful. And that's a, that is a bigger ask than just doing some PowerPoint lectures about what the new standards are about. Well, I think the other thing that we, we've really tried to attend to is that that change idea is like, how do we do that without like people armoring up? Right. Cause yeah. as soon as we start to, you know, have people, you know, get defensive about like, hey, we need you to change. And it's because of the science standards or whatever that they come at this very differently. But if we can help them 
you know, change their own minds. And this is something we've talked about, Scott, is like, we can't change anybody's minds. They've got to change it themselves. And so we have to help them recognize that, that whether it's the opportunity, like you say, Brett, like there's an opportunity here for them. Um, or whether they recognize that, you know, maybe what they're doing isn't serving their students the way they want to, you know, um, you know, helping them to maybe look at it from that perspective, you know, but us coming in and saying, hey, there's the the state that's requiring this or, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the national standards are like that is going to just armor, armor people up and they're just going to be like, yeah, we do this or, you know, there's just going to we're, we're aligned, right? We're aligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I think, in going back to Scott's comment about this idea of uh, shifting one's identity, um, <clears throat> I, as I was listening to you talk about that, I was thinking about how, well, maybe, you know, for our, our, our secondary folks, that shift may not be as drastic because, and I'm assuming here, that most of our uh, secondary folks have had significant science content and think like scientists, authentic scientists. Yes. And I know I'm assuming, uh, but when we get down to our early childhood and our elementary folks, that to me seems to be uh, a radical shift in identity, given that some of these folks have had one, two science courses in their undergraduate preparation. I see Dr. Criswell has something to say. <laughs> yeah. Having seen this play out in Kentucky, I found it to be just the opposite. Really? Yeah. I found that the elementary and middle school teachers were the ones that most embraced the shift. Mm, that's and, really interesting. Um, because they didn't, you know, the elementary people weren't worried about whether it went against their view of what science was. They just, they liked the fact that they was more hands-on and they were engaging kids and talking with kids more. Whereas secondary teachers there, they do have a strong sense of identity, but unfortunately that sense of identity is it's my content and I've got to cover my content. And mm-hmm. if I'm a chemistry or physics teacher, I look at this content and I think there's not enough of it for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to bull right over that. And so I, I found that the shift was harder. Identity shift was harder for the high school teachers. Well, and when you present it that way, it, it makes sense because you think about like, okay, you know, if a chemistry person or a biology person or us as, you know, physics folks, you know, we've spent our life being modeled in what physics looks like, right? I mean, physics instruction has a certain way, you know, it's lots of chalkboards, it's lots of, you know, problems. And and so that sort of modeling, you know, has been ingrained in us for like decades, you know, and someone who's just had a couple classes and, and, you know, while they may not have that content expertise that, you know, all of us see as, you know, maybe necessary to, to teach a, you know, I think that they can come at this with a different level of, you know, modeling or background that they're like, okay, you know, this is something that I can see as my role is different in this. I don't have to be the content expert. I can be the person who's, who's just helping to you know, coordinate this, coordinate the efforts, coordinate the investigations. Yeah, that's a significant change, you know, is how that, how teachers are positioned in the classroom and how they're positioned um, with respect to the students and the content area and, you know, the, the backgrounds they have. That's kind of, you know, a really yeah, interesting Yeah, sorry. Thing. I, I, was, I was just saying the other thing is that, you know, elementary and middle school kids, they uh, or teachers, they they have 
to a much larger degree, a focus on the idea that their job is to build relationships with their students, right? Secondary teachers have the notion that that's not, it's not that they don't care about that exactly. It's that they care a lot less about it and they care much more about communicating the information well so that people will be able to remember it. I mean, they don't say it that way, but they would say to understand it. I don't think they actually understand it, but but I think that's the big difference between secondary folks, in addition to the one that that you were you and Brett were talking about, or that um, you were just talking about, Ali, specifically this idea of like, well, we've been enculturated as people who took yeah. a lot of science classes as to what science class is. So we know that what science class is is somebody is smarter this? than us it, talking right. to us about things that we don't yet understand, but we're going to write in a notebook so that we can study them later and remember them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think both middle school and elementary school have a structurally the way that the school is organized and the way that they think about children is look, your job is to build relationships with these people because either they're young and they're developing or they're in adolescence and they're bananas and you have to have relationships with them. And then by the time they get to high school, it's like they basically treat them as adults where it's like, this is vocational training or, you know, you're being trained into these areas in a, in a very direct way. Uh, the question you had asked a while back was, what have we learned from this? And uh, yeah. one other thing that I think I I hate to uh, acknowledge a, a coach of another uh, non-Penn State Big Ten football team, but P.J. Fleck at Minnesota uh, has often used this analogy of rowing. All, we're all rowing in the same direction to talk about that kind of team mentality he wants to create. And I think that's um, the other thing that's challenged us here is um, when, you know, again, looking at Kentucky as an example, they had such a coordinated effort in Kentucky to roll out the standards and everybody was involved. Higher ed was involved. K-12 schools were involved. Communities, businesses were involved and informal STEM people were involved. And here we've lost that kind of top person that's coordinating it. And so we're trying to do that on top of this very complex training we talked about earlier. And, and so getting everybody involved and going in the same direction, which is the only way it's going to be successful, is is challenged is challenged by the fact that we don't have that visionary, that person at the top making sure it's all coordinated. Yeah, that's that's a real challenge. You know, I think it's it's almost like we have this food court, you know sort of metaphor you know that we have taken you know all these folks and taken them to like the mall food court and everyone's like just running around getting things that they need from the different you know and i think you know it's it's a way of doing it it could be a little bit more coordinated um but i think we're we're doing the best we can i think that the the folks who are going through these professional development opportunities you know from us and from the other folks around the state are finding a lot of value in it. I think it's just the coordination that is the the challenge. I think they're learning a lot, um, but I think that um, it's it's finding the the consistency and the coordination across the different efforts. But absolutely, there's some challenges there. What I've enjoyed is how you guys take the very boring way I explain things and create this really cool, fun metaphor. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad to come on in the future to make myself sound funnier and more engaging. Well, I don't know if Ali knows this, but he stole the food court metaphor from, I think it's Linda Darling Hammond, who talks about teacher education as a food oh, court thing. So, yeah. yeah. You know, didn't like steal great minds think alike. That's right. What we, that's what we really <laughs> want to say. Well, you know, she she's a hero of mine. I'm a, I'm a big Linda Darling Hammond fan. So, well, 
Well, there apparently it shows because, yeah, you know, there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. So as we roll out to this next year, what are some of the things that you're, you're looking forward to or some of the things that you are, are seeing on the horizon that, you know, might be, you know, opportunities for us to celebrate or, you know, or maybe take a pause at and say, yeah, this could be something that we need to be a little bit more mindful of anything from that perspective. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, building on uh, year one, and I'll say year one was a success, right? I mean, obviously, it was it was a lot of work. And, and some of it was at the uh, the 11th hour. Um, but I'd, I'd go um, so far to say perfect, Pete, if it were me. But I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, I think building on those successes, we've got a lot of really good feedback from the IU folks. And I think they're hungry for their own learning. Um, and I think they are really looking to our group um, as experts, so to speak, uh, for, for guidance. And uh, I, so far, this has been a positive experience uh, for me uh, and for, for, I would say, most of the participants. Uh, and I look forward to, you know, taking it to what we'll call maybe the next step or the next level as we collectively try to address, uh, again, the shift in culture. Yeah, I, I think of, I, so a couple weeks ago, I had the wonderful opportunity. Um, one of the IU folks um, who was part of our group, Colleen, uh, invited me up to her IU to work with teachers there. And um <clears throat> we had three days together and we dove into kind of the standards, but also the first two of the initial science teaching practices. And I think of what I saw happen over the course of three days, not in terms of the learning, but the teachers back to their identity, their mental state. Uh, the first day it was, uh, I'm not buying this at all. This, uh, yeah, this is nonsense. Uh, the second day is, okay, I, I'm starting to see the validity of it but I'm not necessarily seeing myself as being able to do it, a self kind of a self-efficacy. And then the third day after the morning session, I said, listen, um, before we go to lunch, I, we have an afternoon set of things planned, but we want to get feedback from you on things that you would like us to do. If there's anything you would like us to go back to. And one of the participants said, I don't know whether it was you doing something differently today or something with me, but all of a sudden today things clicked. And what I said to her is I said, I didn't do anything. I guarantee you, I didn't do much differently than I've been doing the other two days. I said, I have been trying to be patient and empathetic to your situation. Mm. Um, and that I think you, we all have to realize this takes time and it's not any different. The time it takes for you then what your students are going to experience. I shared with them, like I taught in the way I'm describing to you when I was a teacher and every year for the first month, kids were like, this sucks. I hate this. I hate your class because I'm used to somebody just shoving some notes in my face, memorizing and doing well on the test. And so that resistance I faced is the resistance you experienced and you had to overcome. And, and when you start trying to teach this way, it's the same resistance. So I think I'm looking forward to, I think this payoff in our patients and trying to be understanding and empathetic is going to pay off as people are going to start to shift over time, their understanding of things. Yeah. I think that, you know, when we think about this identity shift, you know, if it, and that is something that's significant, like it's a thing that, you know, for someone to like 
consider their own self and then say, okay, yeah, this is something. It, it requires time. It requires patience. It requires that empathy. That those are those are such great points, Brett. Thanks. Well, and I think the other thing it requires that's implicit, but I think needs to be named that we're moving towards as we go into this next year, is it there is a need for a space for sense making. And that means the participants have to make sense of it themselves. You can't make sense of things for other people. I mean, this is the fundamental underlying principle of the shift in the standards. And, but modeling that in professional development is hard because especially with adults, they're even more ingrained with just give me the information. That's all I need. If you give me the information, I'll just do it and it'll be good. And you have to say, look, this isn't about information. This is about you rethinking the information you already have. You don't need new information. What you need is to reorganize, reconceptualize your role in the classroom and and therefore what your student's role in the classroom is. And that requires time for you to think about what that really means. And I do think, you know, what you're what you were doing, Brett, probably all three days is you're providing them that space to make sense. And then it t- it takes three days. And, and that's just to have like the initial epiphany of like, oh, this might be something I could actually do and might like trying to do. Um, and that is like the first baby step of a very long journey of transforming your practice, right? I mean, it's, but it's a critical one. I mean, if you don't have that, then you're never going to go anywhere. You're just going to say, yeah, I'm good. I'm doing, I'm doing great. Yeah, I think that this past year, one of the things that was the most successful was this, that sort of culminating experience that we had, like in, in April, where we just gave them time. Like we scheduled a two day thing, you know, at different parts of the state, a two day workshop. And the workshop was really them working and us just kind of facilitating it, which was, you know, practicing what we preach. Right. But they had all these diverse experiences, this food court thing where they were going around and, you know, participating in this informal science thing or participate in this other workshop that another group organized. And, we just ask them to, you know, put it all together and come together and just make sense of it and to use that, uh, you know, inform what they were going to do with districts. And that experience was probably the most meaningful experience that I, I know that from hearing them, right? They were like, hey, this was great. We needed this time. And I think that when we shift our perspective from being deliverers of information to, you know, being the people who are helping to coordinate the sense-making, I think that, and being patient and, you know, being respectful, I mean, that, that, that can't be undersold. It can't be undersold. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think, you know, as I was listening to you talk about that, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that districts, you know, also allow this space um, because we know how, you know, teachers are overburdened at this point and, the question is, you know, we we allowed our intermediate unit folks this sort of two day space to kind of put it all together. And, uh, you know, I really hope that we're seeing the same space, so to speak, uh, at the district level. Yeah. Okay. Can I say one more thing about mm-hmm. that experience? There was this there was this one moment that was interesting to me because we're talking about sense making. Mm-hmm. And we had, we had started off with what are phenomena and instead of, you know, us telling them, we said, why don't you look at some resources we provided and talk and we had them write stuff down we got in circles, we shared out and, and there were a lot of 
uncertainties that they were expressing. They were really, but, but by having this conversation, they, they got into some aspects of thinking about teaching with phenomena that we would, if we had just talked to them, wouldn't have happened. And I was amazed at the conversation that happened. And then we went back to the, you know, the front of the room and I said, well, you know, do you feel better? Like you understand phenomena better. And that was not their sense of things, right? My sense of listening to them talk is they understood it much better through the conversation we have. So I think it's uh, another word, I, I guess, phrase I like to think of is seeing the sense, helping people see the sense making that they're doing. Because mm-hmm. I saw the sense making they were doing, but they didn't necessarily see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a, and what a struggle that is, right. And, and how difficult that struggle is and being able to look back and say, oh yeah, that's what we were doing. We were making sense of this here. And that's, that's a critically important path. Right. And that, and if we really, if we really take these modes of learning, this way of learning that are represented in the new standards that are a reflection of NGSS, then I think we have to say like, that is a key component is opening up that space for sense-making so people can recognize that that's what this is about. This is, and I think one of the trickiest things is, and, and this came up for, I think all of us, but I'll say for me is in that culminating activity in April the things that the IU group, so they they basically built professional learning materials in groups, and we facilitated that, but but they did the lion's share of the work of that. Well, the products that they made aren't what I would have made, right? And right. in many ways, were there were aspects of them that were dissatisfying to me. But the analogy is exactly the same as a science teacher with with their student, with your, their students, right? The initial explanations. And then the, even the second explanations after you've done instruction still aren't what you want, whatever that even means, but, but it isn't the ex, the final perfect explanation, but that's not the goal. The goal is to move them along the path and, and, um, and then to not judge either the starting point or the ending point as being deficient in some way. That's where you get into trouble where you're like, well, yeah, they built this thing and it's, you know, it's mostly okay, but it's, there's a bunch of crap in there that I, like when you start <laughs> doing that, it, you, yeah. you, you've torn the heart out of the process and that, and you see that happen all the time in these, in when, when teachers are initially experimenting with this pedagogy where they open the space and then they close it by giving the right answer at the end. And it's like, well, you've just ruined it. You've, you've destroyed all that hard work that you did building up this like open empath empathetic and caring culture and told them, well, after all that, it doesn't matter because here's the right answer. So shut up. And next time don't do so much because you know, you're going to get the right answer. When we were planning that culminating activity, um, one of the things that we were, you know, spent a lot of time talking about was how do we organize that time and how do we give them some sort of authentic, like experience, authentic task that they were working towards. Like when we were doing this in, in a science classroom, you know, we're trying to get them to, you know, make evidence-based arguments, right? That was the, 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 the goal. And we're trying to, you know, create these experiences and, you know, investigations and, and all this to lead towards that. And we wanted to try to do something similar to that with these folks. And we recognized we couldn't do a science thing. I mean, there's science threaded throughout this, but it wouldn't have been authentic as to what the kind of work they're really doing. And that's why we, you know, situated it in, okay, you're developing, um, you know, professional materials that you're going to use and situating it from that perspective really like just changed the dynamics of it. Cause it was like, they were creating something that was meaningful for them 
right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think that was the part that, you know, I'm glad we had those conversations. I'm glad we had that type of, um, you know, we together thought about how to do this well. And, and you know, I, I yeah, I think that was probably one of the strongest things we did this whole year. And I'm hoping we build on that moving in the spring, uh, moving this fall and into the spring. Yes. Well, that phrase meaningful for them is, is pretty Yeah. Cool. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good transition, meaningful sure. for them. Now we can talk about things that are meaningful to us that bring us joy and we can, you know, share some things. Yes. Would you like to go first, Ollie? Well, um, yeah. So Brett and, and, and Pete, we do this every at the end of every episode. We share uh, something that's bringing us joy. And so uh, for me right now, I have to say it's season two of The Bear. No. Season two of The Bear is... Uh, you know, so season one was just, it just ripped my heart out. And every episode was a, uh, was chaotic and stressful. And, and so I'm about like uh, a little over halfway through season two. And wow, for, you know, I know we've talked about this in previous episodes, Scott, but like um, how, how different season three of Ted Lasso is in comparison to one and two. And and a lot of times when people say it's different, they're not saying good, right? They're saying mm. it's so different and it's and also not as good. Yeah. Season two is so different than season one, and I'm saying it's awesome. Yeah. It is awesome. What a great, mm-hmm. great show. Um, and if you haven't seen it, start out with season one, go through it, get your heart ripped out, and then season two is gonna, you know, try Rip to build it, it back. Again. Wow, or build it back up. I don't we'll know. See. We'll uh, see. We'll see. We'll have see. you have you gotten episode six yet? I just saw episode six and yeah. Okay. That's all yes. we're saying about that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's the most authentic Christmas <laughs> episode ever <laughs> in a special episode. <laughs> in a special episode of the bear. Yeah. Wow. Boy, it is it was like, like a special episode. Even better than the rest of us. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I, I, better might not be the correct adjective, <laughs> but definitely Oh, authentic. Authentic. It's, it's about the the uh you know the Italian American tradition of the seven fishes. Uh yes. but that's just like yeah. Anyway, yes. Yeah. yes, I I heartily concur with the with the bear recommendation. And I'll actually follow with um a food related uh recommendation or a, a cook related recommendation. So I was given um a book by uh, Samin Nasrat, who is a James Beard award-winning chef. And the book is called uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Um, and it is uh, a fantastic book for people who have, who are interested in cooking, who are interested in cooking um, in sort of improvisational ways, not just following recipes. And it, the thing I like about it personally is it has, I won't say it has sciences in it because it, it only has a little bit of science, but it does have a little science in it. But what it has is a lot of explanation. And I like that in that she's not just saying, here's a thing, just do it. She's saying, here's a thing and here's why. And here's some underlying thinking and sometimes a little bit of science about proteins and things like that. But she basically breaks cooking down into these four things that if you think about those four things, You can always produce delicious food. Well, not always, but you can at least understand why food is or is not delicious. Um, And it's a it's a great book. It's not your traditional cookbook where it's just a bunch of recipes. There are recipes in it, but basically about half of the book is just a discussion of, 
you know, all these different things like, okay, if you're going to, if, and for example, one thing she does is she has these wheels where she talks about cuisine from different regions and what are the fats that are identified in that region. So if you want to cook something from South America, you use different fats to cook than if you want to have something that tastes French and you can cook exactly the same meal with different fats and it produces a very different cultural experience for you in terms of the food. So that's just one example, but it's, it's a great book and I'm really enjoying it. Like I'm really just reading it. I'm not cooking anything from it yet. I'm looking forward to that, but right now I'm just reading it. That's cool. That's cool. All right. All right. Uh, Pete, I think you should go next. Yeah. Uh, we'll save the best for last. So my TV viewing is, is probably, four or five decades behind uh, you mentioned family ties uh, earlier in the you know the special issue or special episode of family ties in which alex tries to get off speed um that uh is essentially where i'm at so that's what's nice. believe it or not that's what's on my dvr um i have discovered even just uh, saying DVR the- is saying <laughs> it's like a, i had to google that d yeah. i meant D- i meant i meant vhs yeah. Um, and uh, I have actually started um, watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, if you're into sort yeah. of like, you know, just off the wall humor, a uh, great cast. Uh, uh, but I've been catching up on some reading. So, uh, you know, the new college classroom is something that uh, that I've been reading. Uh, which I, uh, Davidson, I think is, uh, yeah, Kathy Davidson and, and, another author, Katobadas. Uh, I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly, but... Almost uh, 100% no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, uh, I'll let you, and I apologize if the authors are listening to this. Yeah. Uh, Which they most assuredly are. They yes. most assuredly are. Uh, the most listened to podcast on the internet. That's so, it, that's yeah. very good. So doing that, of course, I'm still strumming the old guitar, uh, trying to get some bands going, so... Uh, Starting a band uh, is fun, but a lot of, I'll say, work and stress as you try to find direction. Mm-hmm. All right, good Thank luck, Painter. I'm looking for a bass player, uh, Scott. You, you nope. up for that? Broke all my fingers in a terrible, uh, you know, accident here at the house. Uh, sorry about that. Well, I've, I, seen people, I've seen people play with their toes. How so. about trumpet player? Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I Pete, I actually know a, a bass player. So who? Right. Yeah. All right, you guys can do this offline. All right, man, yes. yeah, come yeah. on, pass along. All right, Brett. First thing, I don't know how you guys have so much time to watch TV because I'm just too damn busy to be doing stuff like that. Um, secondly, uh, building off. So what I am my joy is that finally after the COVID and everything, uh, I can go listen to live music again. Yeah. Went out tonight to listen to some live music in Phoenixville. I'm still hoping to see Pete whenever the band forms. I'm, you know, count me there for your first show. Cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Music Fest in Bethlehem in August. Ah, so good. Because they have on Saturday the 12th, they have a Rush tribute band. And so I'm going to be there listening to crying over. Do they have a clever name? Like, is it Anthem, which is. Oh, yeah. That's not that clever. Not clever, yeah. But, no. yeah. I mean, it's fine, but it's not like I don't know. Subdivisions rushed. would that be better? What was it? Subdivisions would that be oh, a better that's, name? That's, no, that's not what? clever either. It's a good song. I don't know about the name. You want like rushed or 
<laughs> the Tom Sawyers or whatever. I don't know. Like <laughs> something that's like, yeah. Gotcha. Ha ha. This is so far out of my area of expertise. I am not a Rush uh, fan. So you guys can riff on this for hours and I will, yeah. you know, different yeah. discourse community for me. Yeah. Well, fortunately, Getty Lee does not listen to this podcast. Otherwise, so. <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be much weeping and gnashing of teeth in Canada that you are not a fan of Rush. That's yeah. right. That's right. Japanese well, breakfast, but not right there. Yeah. A little Japanese breakfast. Def- definitely. But you know, there's that. Hey, well, you know, I was glad, glad you guys could join us today. That was awesome. Thanks for, thanks and, for bringing those great metaphors. Yeah. yeah. Metaphors, and similes, analogies. We do all that stuff. We do and, all. and thanks for navigating some of the technical issues we had today. And last yeah. time it's like, and yeah. last time it's, yeah, we're so. cursed. We're cursed. We are cursed. Hey, well, we'll catch you next time in between. See you then. Bueno.